Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hi, everybody. It's Bob again, and I've got Wonder Woman, How High Achieving Women Find Contentment and Direction. And I've got Marcy Reynolds with me today. When you decided to write the book, why did you think it was important to cover all the topics that you do in in the this particular book? First, let me say that what inspired the book was I was listening to this man speak and he was talking about the differences of men and women in the workplace. And I was thinking, that's not me and that's not the women I know. <laughs> and I went out and uh, did some preliminary research. This was actually my doctoral dissertation. And I realized that so many of the books out there were written about women that had trouble speaking up and um, couldn't say no. And my clients, um, you know, had more problems channeling their assertiveness than than needing to gain it, and they didn't say no because they were worried about hurting people's feelings. They didn't say no because they didn't think anyone could do the job as well as they. So, I was looking at you know smart, strong women in the workplace have different issues, and one of the biggest issues is that they get restless very easily, and that's why the the title is Wander woman, um, not the superhero Wonder Woman. It's it's these women that tend to wander because they they get excited about things and then they lose interest and want to go on to the next and always looking for the next big thing. So um, I said, I need to find out what their challenges are um, and, and help them uh, since nobody seemed to be addressing the smart, strong woman. Okay. Well, that's, well actually, that's quite interesting because when I looked at it, I instantly just read wonder it's like oh wonder woman that makes sense you know women that are out striving and they're they're super a and they're doing their thing which totally makes a total different spin on the book which is fascinating actually Although um, DC Comics did um, try to sue me uh, for the trademark. I mean, okay, I get that that, that people kind of get uh, ants in their pants and they want things to move forward faster and those type of things. But that also happens uh, for men as well. Uh, yeah. Why specifically women? Well, actually, because it was my dissertation, I needed to narrow it. I mean, truth be told, um, I was looking for a very specific thing. Um, mm. It's true that there's a lot of the factors that I identify in the women that are similar to men, especially the younger generation of men. But specifically, I really wanted to address that these women are being left out. Um, there's some books written today, but even when you look at uh, some really famous books like Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, you know, it says, you know, women don't lean in enough. And again, I, I have a lot of clients that lean in a little too much. And and so what about the other side, the women that, uh, again, they're strong um, and smart and they're confident on the outside, but maybe still on the inside, they aren't sure of themselves um, or or sometimes they're they're their confidence, their external confidence can get in the way because, again, they think they do the job better than anyone else. Mm. And they were brought up that way. They were told they were great, they were fabulous, and they should do whatever they want. This was a real shift in how girls were raised that started happening in the 60s and 70s. And so it was a, it's a fairly new phenomenon for women to have these issues. And so I really wanted to address it uh, for women. 
But I've I've had men write to me and say, you know, it fits for me, too. And I'm like, yay, great. (laughs) Happy to help. (laughs) Even more so, there's a lot of men that says, thank you for writing it, because I understand these women better now. So, you know, that's, that's a perfect segue, because my next question really was for this type of woman. Were they consistently coming up similarly on on uh, tests like Myers Briggs and stuff like that? Were, was it a particular type? I, you know, this is, is a common conversation I had with my editor. Um, she was saying, "Is this just a niche of women?" And I said, "No, it's an emerging pattern." Hmm. Um, again, because you know, when I tracked this back in my research, I found it uh, attributable to. Uh, the social shift that happened in the 60s and 70s where women for the first time in history were being told, you know, you can do anything you want and you should. You should go out there and be fabulous and wonderful. <laughs> you know? And so all of a sudden they had to go out and be excellent and fabulous, but nobody defined what that was. Where men sort of had clear career paths, women just had to be fabulous. So, you know, they're still trying to be fabulous and they're not sure what it is. And then we had things like Title IX, which opened up here in the U.S., you know, it opened up all the schools um, to women and increased women uh participating in sports, so they started to feel strong in their body as well as their mind. Um, And this expectation that women would have successful careers, which again, before it was just that they would bring in a paycheck for the household. So there was a big shift um, in how we raise girls, and these, these girls started entering management positions in the 80s and 90s, and and really just, you know, in the past 10 years, has it really been growing? So um, it really was to address the shift that hadn't been recognized. I believe that um, it's not, you know, there's there's women that are assertive and extrovert, but there's also this applies to introverts as well. It's more about when a woman starts to feel uh, confident in her ability to take care of herself, both mentally and financially, um, that is, there's a shift in her in what she feels she can do in the world. Uh, and I see this happening all over the world, and I get emails from women all over the world. So thank you. I thought I was weird and something was wrong with me. At least you're showing me there's other women like me. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you know, I... You know, you mentioned the 60s and how there was a fundamental shift in in the way the society uh, basically opened the doors for women. But also, has it been over the last uh, 15 or 20 years where uh, fathers and mothers have treated and brought their children up differently? And it's like, well, yeah, you can be the president of the United States. Yes, you can own a uh, Fortune 500 company. That's normal. And having that type of upbringing from a very, very early age. And now these women are emerging into the the corporate environment and they're totally empowered. Totally. Right. And that's different. You know, and you're still going to get um, uh, different women having different dreams and different desires. And yes, there are those women that want to work for a while and then raise their family. And that's fine. But what about the women that want to raise their family while they run the corporation or just um, aren't even choosing um, to have a family. They have other things they want to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, we're looking at these options have expanded for women in defining who they are and what they want to be. So you're absolutely right. This is growing Mm -hmm. in the expectations, you know, of what I will do with my life. Now, our larger organizations – 
running into the problem of, wow, a lot of our clients are these power women and they don't want to have five guys to walk into the room and start giving them advice. They also <laughs> want some women in that. So there, there's actually a, a, a need for more women to be like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, it's an interesting thing. Um, the whole, uh, yes, we want women to be like that, but there's still sort of the, uh, the judgment of around strong women, you know, we mm. still that so even though discrimination isn't on the table it's still under the table um that we call these women names and see them differently and um so it's an interesting thing you know why is it that there's still not that many women uh in the senior leadership positions and on corporate boards um and i don't believe it's because they're opting to go raise their families. If you look, many of them work for so many years and then they finally say, oh, forget it. This is a pain. And they go start their own businesses, which are many of my colleagues. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the women that I've, I've interviewed on the show, uh, they're very like this. And um, I think that this is kind of the uh, a pivotal point in actually on a global level for women to basically have the authority and plus have the 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 marketplace that needs them and it's actually a financial decision not an emotional decision and i think this is the first time it's probably happened in the history of the world yeah it is interesting um you know why is there the rise of women uh in uh more economically important positions mm. Um, even just, you know, in, in North America, the increase of women breadwinners in the family, it's, it's, it's keeps rising every year. Um, and then in emerging countries, they often say it's, it's the more women that become uh, financially viable, the stronger the country. Well, you know, ironically, I think women build stronger organizations. Uh, I think they're more attuned into that it, Organizing and, and, and building a large, strong organization that's motivated moving forward is a very nurturing type position. Whereas before, if it was run 99% by men, it was much more aggressive, more competitive, almost psychopathic in the way that it, it, you uh, advanced in the organization. Where if you're in uh, a, a woman-centric organization, it's much nicer place to work. It's much more focused on lifestyle. It's also bottom line driven. But you can do both. And I think that's what a lot of workers, men and women, are realizing. I don't have to work for this organization that is horrible and, and driven by a bunch of crazy guys. I can work with this other organization that's going to pay me just as well. And we're actually going to do good in the world. And I'm going to feel better about my life. Yeah. Well, you know, there are those things that they attribute to what they call feminine values. And whether or not it's, it's uh, really women, um, it's labeled that. And the values of connection, relationship, um, feeling, doing meaningful work, uh, making sure we all feel that we're a part of the team, you know, they've always attributed that more, you know, toward, uh, again, these feminine values where male values were looked at as decisiveness and uh, results-focused, um, and I think that's what you're what you're saying. I think there's a lot of uh, men that you know the mindset is shifting. Well, and a lot of men were brought up by single moms, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so they're bringing these values to the workplace as well. Mm, 
And and so I think, it, you know, to look at them more as, you know, the values and what's important today. And when you start looking at what is it that the younger generation is asking for, they're asking for exactly what you just defined. Mm. Yeah. You got to have meaning. You can't just throw money at the problem. Right. Well, you know, and at, at a certain point, I mean, we do work for survival, as, you know, Maslow said, we've got basic needs. But after that's meant, then there's there's other things that motivate us um, than the money. And I always like to say money is really an expectation. It's not a motivation. I expect you to pay me well for what I do or or at least a fair wage mm. for what I give. Um, and, you know, and then if you take that off the table, then there's other things that, that truly inspire my desire. Well, it, it goes, you know, to... to go on a completely different tangent it's kind of the way you sell things you can't you can sell um a, a computer by oh it's got this much ram and it's got this great big giant 17 inch screen and y- you know it's got a cool typewriter and all this type of stuff uh but really what you're selling is a lifestyle you know if you use this machine you'll be cool if you use this machine it's a fashion statement and that's why people are buying it because basically that that field is relatively level they all work very very well they're all very powerful so what more will this machine give me well right this apple <laughs> yeah this apple or dell or whatever i mean <laughs> right that i buy for that reason yeah exactly exactly um let's dig a little into your book now now you said this is um this was your thesis. Was it a, a what what level? It was my doctoral dissertation. Actually. Okay, so I should be calling you Doc, <laughs> <laughs> if you like. <laughs> um, how difficult? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that that have you know done their dissertations, but then just take it and slap it into a book format. Did you take it and and evolve it into something that's easier to absorb by the by the regular? you know, by a regular person instead of somebody that's more academic? Um, well, that was the the greatest gift that being published by Barrett Kohler gave me was that I had a really tough editor that made, I actually had to throw away my first four chapters because she says, well, nobody really cares about the research. They want to know what to do with it. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and she says, you can summarize that in the appendix. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah. And so, you know, the first chapter does pull out the themes and, you know, what are the greatest challenges of these wander women? Um, you know, and so I do address it there, but the book primarily focuses on, so what do you do now uh, to overcome some of these challenges and be more successful. So, yeah, it it was driven. I mean, they were the ones that kind of found it. I met her at a conference, and um, she helped me really formulate it into a useful book. Hmm. I'm curious, what was the original title? Of the dissertation? Yeah, yeah, I'm very curious. <laughs> okay. If you can remember, it's too many big words, yeah. Bob. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It would have to do with, you know, the challenges that... Um, you don't even think it was smart, strong women. It was like women focused on management face in the workplace today in the United States. You know, some crazy. Yeah, long, 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 long. <laughs> Type A personality based on such and such. Right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, um, I would be very uh, curious to, to actually read those those uh, those first four chapters, first three chapters. You might want to consider putting those up on your blog. 
Now, that's a great idea. Actually, there are that um, type of people. That, <laughs> I want to hear that. Yeah, I, actually, the Library of Professional Coaching is publishing it, and they have a, a great li- library of coaching books and articles, and they're going to be, they've broken um, the dissertation down into um, manageable bites. Mm. So you can um, get it at the Library of Professional Coaching. Oh, cool. Excellent. And I, for sure, especially people have uh, listened to this the podcast and then read the book, they'll be saying, now I really want to read that. For sure, it'll, it'll motivate people, I, even if they want to skim through it, because it just becomes a curiosity thing more than a knowledge-based thing. Well, you know, and again, too, the, the research is um, summarized in the back of the book. Mm. So you will find, um, uh, you know, what I had discovered and um, the uh, the research um, that the profile of the research, the women that I interviewed and, and surveyed and all of that's in the back of the book. And, and uh, honestly, if anyone is interested in, in more, I've got summaries that I can share with them. And you're right. I should post it on my website, um, at outsmartyourbrain.com or they can just email me and I'm happy to send them. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. Um, now you broke the book down into to three sessions. Well, theoretically, I would say Four sections because you've got your three sections, then you've got your notes and research and chapter notes and acknowledgements, those type of things. But really, the book is these three sections. Um, for somebody that is uh, cramped for time and really wants to get the gist of the book, wants to jump right in, what part should they jump into? Well, if they're looking for applications, what what can I actually do? Then it's part three. It's wandering on purpose because that's really going to look at the exercises um, that they can sit down and they can do on their own. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so part one and two, basically, your part one, your your. Uh, the quiet revolution that that's basically you're defining where this is coming from and then part two is intentional transformation and that's for people that say well am I a wandering woman or I would like to evolve as a wandering woman actually you know what um I'm gonna backtrack on that it's part two is uh, the intentional transformation is really um, the exercises there's exercises on on understanding archetypes and and which is patterns of behavior and um, when it hurts us and what we can do to expand that. There's exercises on looking at the negative assumptions that we hold in our brain that keep us back. Mm. Um, There's looking at our strengths from a a personal perspective instead of our achievements. You know, we often celebrate what we can do without really looking at who we are. So the exercises are in, in the second uh, section in, in in the third section there's exercises as well but it's more on um, how do I actually change myself and maintain the change over time mm. so it's just a different different perspective yeah mm-hmm. I mean you know going through the book I, I think what will happen to a lot of people is they'll they'll jump to um, choose your course and say oh, okay well that's uh, I'll just read this part you read yeah. it and say oh hang on I didn't get half of what she was getting at, and then go back and, and eventually read the book from the front uh, to the end actually I, I really my favorite chapter is chapter three the claiming yourselves not mm. yourself you know where people mm. say oh my authentic self well you don't have just one self <laughs> <laughs> we have many selves and um, and you know that's that was one of the most important things in, in my success 
uh, was recognizing when I would get stuck in a certain pattern. Like for years, I was the warrior because I'm a small woman and I had to uh, have a large voice working in primarily male companies. So I would see things that needed to be done and I would jump in and get them done and, um, and deal with whoever was standing in my way. And um, then one day my boss said to me, you know, dear, you can quit fighting now. You've made it. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? I've always been a warrior. And he said, you know, maybe there's a different way that, that um, you can get people uh, to, instead of force them to see your way, to get them to follow you to see your vision. Mm. And, you know, we started looking at that. At now I was dealing with the executive staff and it was different. And um, I'd been stuck in this pattern uh, for so long that I didn't realize that I could also be this inspirer, the storyteller, the visionary. I had all that in me, but I hadn't been using it. Mm. So it's not like faking it. It was really parts of me that I hadn't been using for a very long time. So Mm. this chapter really looks at, you know, what are the other parts of you that you've held silent? Mm. Um, And what are the parts of you that are now getting in your way? They served you once, but where you are now is not so helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, it it almost seems too that you need some sort of mentorship when you're working within an organization as you grow and, and evolve you need to rely on those people to basically say hey this you've, you've gone this far this is awesome but yeah. you're at a level now that you're going to have to start thinking slightly differently yes and um, you know what was so helpful for me in those situations wasn't somebody telling me you know you should change because I, I was a warrior and I'm like yeah right <laughs> But somebody pointing out what I was doing and then asking me a question that made me stop and think about what was my impact. So my boss is really helping me think for myself. And, and you know, I'm a real advocate for coaching. So I really think um, these women, um, that coaching is really useful for them to help them think through things on their own. So I think it is important. You're absolutely right to have a mentor who's been there. Um, that you really um, respect and trust. And it's also good um, to have a coach that helps you think for yourself. Mm. Now, you know, right at the very end of the book, you've got a fascinating uh, section, and it's called a, a Tribe or a Growing Revolution. And I'm really curious what you, why, why was it written that way? Is it a tribe? Because a tribe is kind of... It's a group of people that are kind of off on their own doing their thing. They're very self-sustaining. And a revolution is is something different. That's where everybody, a whole society, people within that society emerge and try and evolve a whole society. Yeah. You know, again, that was the the argument I, I had with my publisher when she was saying, well, this is just a niche and it's just going to address the needs of a certain number of women, at, you know, it's like a personality type. Yeah. And I said, no, I think this is a result of what of, of what's happening in society, um, in particular for women. And as women become more financially independent and confident in their own abilities, that um, these challenges that I uh, enumerate in the book are becoming uh, more prevalent. So I believe that it's it, it's an emerging um, phenomenon instead of just a, a, a tribe of of women. Hmm. Interesting. Now, um, in chapter or part three, you've got uh, wandering on purpose. And you kind of use wandering as, as, I guess it's like a metaphor, but it's not because 
that you're talking about wandering in an organization or can we define that a little clearer? Yeah. I can't tell you how many women call me for coaching and they say, um, I have to leave my job. <laughs> say, well, let's back off for a little bit. And, and oftentimes uh, what they'll do is they'll either be bored or frustrated or upset and then leave a job without really getting real clear on where they're going or what it is that they want to achieve mm. in the future. And so when I say wandering on purpose is they can still wander, you know, whether they stay in their job three, four, five years, um, but to have a direction and know what they're trying to achieve going forward. So it's not a zigzag and they lose some years here and there. And I found that actually that was not anything that I knew before I started doing the research. I, I knew I was a wanderer that I could only, I, I had three companies I worked for and it was five years. That was it. I had a five year itch. Um, but what was fascinating was as I was doing my interviewing, the younger the women were, the less uh, they would stay, um, that they were getting their itch at two, three years, mm-hmm. and it was time to move on. And so the whole wandering on purpose is, do you know where you're going? And you might even need to stay a little longer if where you're at um, has some things that you need that's going to help you succeed. You know, so don't leave so quickly. Don't make it that you're leaving something and it's an emotional decision. You know, make it a logical decision that you're leaving because it's going to, it's time to move on to to the next step. Mm. You're getting away from the tactical and getting more into a strategical. Right. Mm. Act, right. Right. Tactical and emotional. He's <laughs> yeah, like, ah, I'm leaving. I can't stand them anymore. <laughs> um, what about... You're in an organization. It's a relatively large organization. Can people wander within an organization if it's big enough? Absolutely. That's what's wonderful about women that go to work in large organizations. I've had quite a few clients um, that either they move to a different division, a different locale, um, uh, or or I've had a few even define a new job for themselves, which is 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 um, very doable in a large organization if they find a need and make a good proposal and get a champion that um, often they can define their own role. So um, it's it's easier in a large organization than in a small one where they only have a certain number of positions and that's it. Mm. Um, I wanted to talk to you about what companies can do to evolve so they can keep their most talented people, usually women? Well, first off, it's very important that they acknowledge um, this pattern, that they don't have this stereotype that women are a certain way. Um, You know, that was the problem with women's programs, women's development programs, and I've been a part of quite a few, that they identify that uh, they need to fix women (laughs) <laughs> and here's their problems, but that's not necessarily true that um, uh, what you're doing is understanding the pattern and that these women like frequent new challenges and they will take things on. So you want to look at, you know, what are their needs um, specifically? So like I had this one woman I was uh, coaching and her boss said to me, um, can't you just um, make her happy where she's at? 
you know, and not want to move to other things. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can't make her anything, you know, and why can't you acknowledge that, um, you know, she did well in her job and now she wants something else. So I think it's important for companies to realize what are the particular needs of these smart, strong women and work with them to get their needs met so they don't lose them. I think that's important. I do think it's important that they get them, like you said, uh, mentors so they understand the organization, especially a large organization. And they understand what is the view of leadership because it still could be sort of a male perspective. And, and that's the, the environment they're working in, whether they like it or not. So how do, you, how do they navigate that environment? I think that's important um, to make sure that they have um, some mentors and in and again, if they can get them a coach, that's always great because that helps them think things through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, and then just having dialogue is I think it's important that both men and women come together and talk about, you know, who they are, what they want, you know, what are their desires for the future. Um, so we get rid of these biases um, that are still prevalent, but we don't talk about mm-hmm. Um, do you think organization, I mean, there's so many organizations now that are saying, oh, we've got the answer. Uh, we'll just have a special program in place and that's going to appease the women. Now, you know, if you want to leave and, and have a family, it's great. We will support you and we'll do all that stuff. That's great. And I, I think it's fantastic that that's available to women and to men, too, who want to, you know, stay at home and take care of their children for a bit. But is that a fundamental fix or is that just a patch? Well, you know, that's just a benefit, you know, family benefit. And you're right, you know, especially in Europe, they're giving them to both men and women. That's a nice thing, but that doesn't that doesn't fit everyone. It's like in my last job, the 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 CEO decided he was going to reward everybody for hard work, and so he he sponsored a big picnic. <laughs> well, there's a lot of us that don't have kids and really don't want to spend our Saturday with other people's kids, <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. So let's acknowledge, again, what is it that that people need? And I think it's more about teaching leaders how to have um, strong conversations with people where they're listening to them. Mm -hmm. What is it that you need um, that's going to motivate you, you know, in the next year to do, to, to, you know, to fully commit and do your best work? Mm. That it's really more about that because this is evolving. You know, we're in the in transition period. So, so some women are one end of the spectrum. Some are just moving into it. I think it really is more about asking the right questions and listening. So it's it's more about teaching leaders how to deal with this than to, and fi- than it is fixing the women. Yeah, well, or fixing the organization. Yes, the environment, you're right. <laughs> it's it's the ability to go into an organization where workers, especially uh, middle management, upper management, aren't afraid of approaching like the CEO or the CFO and say, hey, what's going on here? I am, this is crazy. And not worried about somebody just slapping them down and say, well, that's not your purview or, or whatever. It's the ability for mm-hmm. C-suite level guys to get it, and, and women too, sorry, but to get it and then actually communicate that in a mm-hmm. fundamental way in a different language for their upper management and then again in a, another language for their middle management and again in a, a third or fourth or fifth type of language for the different tiers. I, I just don't get that a lot of C-suite level people 
what they what they say when they open their mouth and how they communicate in the words and the structure is a different language than the guy that's in the truck delivering their product who actually is incredibly important to an organization and that there's this huge disconnect with communication and it's not between those two it's all the way down do you think this is something fundamentally uh, that needs to get changed as well to make this revolution happen Bob, I think you're really right on in, in, in that leaders still believe that they have to project a certain amount of certainty. Um, I was just uh, in Denmark and the CEO of this extremely large global organization came in to talk to our leadership class and he was so down to earth and he was talking about the mistakes he had made coming up and um you know, what he had learned in order to be in the position he's in and just um, the difficulties that he's faced and he's still making, you know, make some good decisions and maybe some not so good decisions. He was real, you know, and he talked their language and every question that they asked, you know, he answered it even if it was a challenging question and he didn't get defensive. It was like, you know, that's, I understand why you're concerned about that and I'm going to tell you the truth. Um, whether it's something you want to hear or not, I'm going to tell you the truth about what's going on with that. So I think it really is, um, uh, it is speaking the language at all levels, but being real, a real person that just happens to be in that position, that we want to be able to connect with even the CEO um, and uh, to allow himself to connect with people, to be vulnerable enough to do that, I think it's, a, it's becoming even more and more critical as we go forward. Well, I think traditionally that would be considered uh, somebody who is weak. They would say, oh, my God, that's so weak. And, he, you know, he's like, oh, he's too emotional. But now it's like, oh, my gosh, this person is incredibly powerful that he has uh, the wherewithal to communicate to us and actually tell us what's going on. I remember working for an organization and every month we would get – everybody in the organization would get a a telephone message. Sometimes it was three messages long. But it was the CEO and he was saying, this is what we did last week and this is our struggles and (laughs) this is what's happening and we're fighting right here and this is a major problem that the world, because it was global, is giving us. How can your department help me overcome this problem? And it's a fine balance. So it's it's not like the the leader saying, "Oh gosh, I'm helpless and I don't know what to do." You know, he's saying, um, "We're we're here's what we're doing. Here's what we know, and we need your help." So it isn't that they're displaying this weakness; they're displaying strength in their inclusion mm. and belief in their in in the people that are underneath them too. Oh yeah, you know the best part of what happened last week. So. The class that I had were uh, middle um, managers and upper middle, um, you know, director level. And um, one of them said, you know, so how do you inspire your leadership team? And he was thinking like, you know, the vice presidents. And and the CEO looked at them and he said, well, you're here in this class. And that was so beautiful because he was saying to them, you're my leadership team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just every single one person in the class, just you could see they were just filled with pride that, yeah, we're the leaders of this organization. And yeah, it's up to them. Yeah. And we're important and we're significant. And I think that's the greatest gift that anyone can give to someone else. Mm. It's great core communication for sure. So, you know, you've been studying, doing this a long time and, uh, you know, you're writing your your 
uh, dissertation, and then you're thrust upon an editor who's shredding it for you <laughs> and, and bringing it to the light of day. Uh-huh. For you, what was your aha moment? Actually, in this whole process, the aha moment was the same thing what I told you as women keep saying to me, was that I just thought I was weird. Um, you know, I was a little rebel girl and, um, and that uh, I created my own problems. And so when I started, you know, reaching out and doing the research uh, and then doing the research on the applications, which I had to do in writing the book, that it was embraced by so many women. And in, in, the, in countries I would have never thought, in these emerging countries, in China, in Latin America, um, Russia, where there was these wonder women everywhere coming up to me and saying, that's me and I'm having a problem and people don't understand me and they don't get that I want to travel the world even if I still want to have a family. And, you know, and so my assumptions about, you know, who these women were, were actually wrong, that there was many, many um, women that fit this mode uh, and, and, and the growing numbers of women all over the world. So that was a big aha. For, and we've kind of covered this a little bit, but for people that want to, to really get the most out of this book, should they read it um, from front to back, or is it a book you can kind of jump in the middle and, and go that way? I definitely think you can, you know, jump in on any of the chapters there because there's exercises and things they can do. They don't really necessarily need the the first uh, two chapters, which is really the background information. But again, usually the people that have emailed me, the women that have emailed me, said the first two chapters really gave them that sense that they weren't alone. That it. When I identified who these women are, they're like, that's me, <laughs> you know. So I think that even if you open it and you do the exercises that at some point backing up to give you a better self-awareness and why you are the way you are is, is, is really a good thing. Hmm. Here's something I'm curious about. Do you think Wonder Women have always been Wonder Women, like even when they were 12 years old and 14 years old and, and, and emerging as, as a, a conscious human being? Do you think they were that way already? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I'm not sure I have the answer for that. Mm. Um, because I said it's kind of an emerging phenomenon. And, and it can be that what's happening is the society is allowing these women to be themselves. Mm. So they were born with that drive, um, you know, with that desire to create and be more. Um, but I also know that the shift in how uh, girls are being raised, that they're given these messages that you are great, you're fabulous, and you can accomplish what you want. Um, that's also uh, changing the mindset of women worldwide of who I am and what I can be. So it's hard to know that nature-nurture thing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Was I born with this or not? It's hard to know. Um, but I do believe that it is allowing these women uh, who are like this to feel more comfortable in their skin. Hmm. Do you think traditionally Wonder Women have been more drawn to the academic side because they see in the universities and, and stuff like that that, okay, this is a type of environment where a Wonder Woman can thrive? Or like you say, it's just an emerging uh, phenomenon that corporations are becoming more conscious of it and now all the Wonder Women that exist in that corporation are able to stand up and say, yeah, actually I'm a Wonder Woman and this is what I'd like to have happen. Well, I do believe that most of these women are attracted to education, um, I wouldn't necessarily say academics, but um, 
you know, the growing numbers of women uh, and, and how many fields that women are outnumbering men in the universities is, is evident, uh, evidence that these women are like, okay, I need an education to accomplish what I want. Um, that I believe that uh, what's happening is, you know, academics was always a place where women could go. I think they're starting to realize that they can go to many places beyond academics um, in the corporate environment. And there comes a point that still in the corporate environment, it's frustrating for them. There's still um, glass ceilings. There's still difficulties, even though co- companies like to say it doesn't exist. The unconscious bias, um, it can still be um, Oh, just crushing. Oh, uh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and ironically, uh, it doesn't, because a, a large organization, if it's run by a woman, doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a great place for women either. Right. <laughs> you know, that, that's a big misconception. Oh, I want to work for this company because so-and-so runs it and she seems like a great woman. Obviously, she's going to be on my side. Yeah, well, you know, you're you're dealing... You mentioned it earlier about the environment, and we're still dealing with the context, mm. um, you know, that we're working in in the environment. And just because a woman is the leader doesn't mean that it's changing the environment. She can work to change it, but a lot of times, um, you know, women leaders are still working so hard for um, to be successful in their own right um, that they have not been able to really sit down and crack. Uh, the corporate culture and changing a corporate culture, you know, the larger the organization, the more years, you know, it takes to do that. Yeah. They don't spin in a dime for sure. No. <laughs> um, what can somebody do, woman or man, that thinks that uh, Wonder Woman need to be recognized and helped in an organization? What what can people do to make an organization more aware of it as an option? Well, um, again, I think being very clear on what are the big challenges that wander women face. And so, mm. you know, looking at the list of, of challenges that women face. So there's the one side that says, well, women need to be able to speak up more and get very clear on what they want so they can ask for what they need. And and all those articles about women don't um, ask for raises and all of that. That's that's nice. And to know that there's other things, too, that they're on the other side, you know, when you look at those challenges, let's put on the list the challenges that women who do speak up, what do they face? Um, the ones that are really driven to for recognition for their work, you know, are, are they getting that? Uh, you know, and to to look at the challenges of all types of women. So to to sit down and say, here's the various types of women that we have within the organization. That it isn't just one type. We have, you know, many types. And here's the various challenges. So I think there's an education of who these women are um, on one hand, and then again to come back and look at. Um, uh, if uh, I really like dialogue sessions, Deloitte did this in the '90s to to have to to try to increase the number of female partners, and um, they found that uh, uh, men were just not giving women uh, the biggest challenges because they made assumptions that the woman had a family, so she wouldn't want to travel without asking her. Mm. You know, so sitting down and really um, having these dialogues and looking at what are the belief systems that are behind the decision making that's leaving women out. Hmm. I think it's, you know, honest um, dialogue um, and for uh, to encourage 
both men and women, because women have bias too, you know, against other women, but to sit down and talk about it. Let's talk about why did you make that decision or what is it that that you believe about um, the women that work for you? Let's see how real that is or not. Um, I think that having open dialogue is really important. Hmm, interesting. Now, um, this this book has some, some great... Um stories in it do you have a favorite one i know that's totally unfair but do you have one that you really love well you know i told you about where my boss had said to me you know do you can quit fighting now you've made it um i think you know that's that's really important and in the book i do talk about you know the different women that i've worked with that were warrior women and how it changed um them but um there was another time when um i was complaining to my uh, boss that uh, nobody, all my peers, nobody worked that hard. They weren't meeting their commitments, their obligations. And and um, he said to me, he goes, wow, you always seem to be so disappointed. <laughs> you know, and I just stopped and I'm like, wow. And then he said to me, is anyone ever good enough for you? Mm. And in that moment, it's like I flashed back and it wasn't like it he was talking about just my peers. It was like every relationship in my life, <laughs> you know, that I was looking at that people didn't live up to my expectations. And and in my research, I found that that's one of the big things about these women is they're always disappointed. They're disappointed over and over again, um, you know, and whether that is because they disappoint themselves, but then they expect other people to, to behave a certain way and they get disappointed in them. And, you know, that was just just that one reflective statement and then question were huge realization for me. And then when I've shared that with women, how many of them say to me, oh, my God, that 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 question, will anyone ever be good enough for you, is a huge question. Now, we have to step back and take a look at that. We're holding such high standards for ourselves. That's what wander women do. We're smart, strong, goal-driven women. What standards are we holding for other people? And, and are they relevant? That, you know, that is fascinating because I think a lot of people, and you know, gosh, it's going back again to, to lack of communication where they're, they're, they're doing 100%, 200%, 300% of their energy and, and working crazy hours to push projects through. And because they're doing that, they just expect everybody else to give two, 300%. Yeah. <laughs> not understanding. It's like, no, 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 no. The other people have lives too. Right. Well, you know, and there seems to be this human thing. It's like a rule of humans that we always think we work harder than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So even that, it's like, well, maybe they are living up to the standard, just not in your perception. You know, mm. it's, it's all perspective. It totally is. Totally is. Hey, where should people go if they want to learn more about the book or if they've read the book and would like to continue uh, finding out more about Wonder Woman? Well, actually, a couple places. I There is a wanderwomanbook.com. There's a website um, that has a number of uh, posts and things they can read. But I also blog for Psychology Today mm-hmm. under Wander Woman. Um, and so they could go. That's where I'm currently posting uh, blogs at the, uh, you know, that I update on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. if they go to call psychology today and either search for me or wonder woman, they'll uh, find more blog posts. Interesting. And are you uh, relatively active on LinkedIn? I am. You can find me there as well. <laughs> are, are you posting on LinkedIn at all? Because they have that post section now. 
They do. I have. Um, I haven't uh, posted much recently because I've actually been um, actively promoting my last book, The Discomfort Zone, and and still writing a lot of articles and blog posts for different places. And you know, you can only write so many posts a week. Yes, yeah, but I will be books. back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will be back to posting at LinkedIn soon. Awesome. Uh, we've been listening to Marcy Reynolds' Wonder Woman, how highly achieving women find contentment and direction. Amazing book, highly recommended, and uh, it was fantastic chatting with you again. Yeah, thank you. It was a good conversation. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show, and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week. 